Hello, good people, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is a podcast where I get to have a chat with some extraordinary people that are significantly more interesting than I am. Get to have a chat with them about what interests them, their points of views on the world, their areas of expertise, and a whole range of things, sometimes just purely talking some shit. Anyway, this is a great episode that you have waiting for you. I got to have a chat with Rohan Seth. This guy is very interesting, very humble, and just listening to him, you will feel inspired to go out there and kick, kick some ass, right? And just to do it in a better way. Anyway, I'm not going to force you to listen to me for any longer. We're going to cut straight into some pre-podcast conversation, then roll smoothly into the podcast. Anyway, guys, enjoy. If you like it, give it some love. Apologies, my man. What a fucking crazy day for me. Uh, it's all good. Did the snow just make the traffic a whole, whole uh, lot worse? So we got like we got a massive snowstorm earlier this week that came out of nowhere. Like we weren't even expecting it. Usually we'll get snowed in um, by like like early January, and like January we had like spring weather, so it was weird. Um, and then Monday we got just like smashed. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday we got smashed with snow, and then today it started to just piss rain. So just caused an absolute nightmare on the streets and then i was stuck on a bridge with a car there was a massive car accident so i was like literally just stopped like i'm like i may as well do i could have literally done the fucking podcast in my car if i could have <laughs> i was just stopped for ages like not being able to move anywhere i was so annoyed because like that drive usually from where i was to where i need to get home that's why when i said three o'clock i i had a meeting there but i knew if like if all else was good and no rain or anything like that would have been 25 minutes and it took me nearly two and a half hours today oh gee yeah. <laughs> Whereas here in Brisbane, we've had over 30 degree weather for 36 days straight. Mate, Maybe mate, more don't, now. Don't, don't rub it in. I want to move to Brisbane so bad. You have no idea. Oh, really? Yeah, I've literally. I, I spent uh, in December, I was down there for an entire month. Um, just this past December, because my wife's family, like my, her, my, my wife's grandparents live out there, and then her aunt lives out there as well. Um, and I love, I just love the, like, I'm, I'm more of a summer kind of guy and beaches than, than I am fucking snow. Like, I'm, don't get me wrong. I love the snow, but I just would rather be in 36 degree weather than minus six degree weather that it is right now. Yeah. The, uh, I hear that a fair bit, actually. Yeah. So <laughs> I hear that a fair bit. Cool. Yeah, you you but, being uh, Brisbane actually brings me to one of the questions that I'm going to ask you and it might put you on the spot, but anyway, right, um, cool. So as an intro for yourself. Um, 60 seconds to introduce yourself to like when you were born to where you are now, um, complete, complete summary of your, of yourself. Sweet. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, Rohan Chath born in, originally born in India, uh, lived there till I was 11 years old. If you called it living there, I lived between there, Dubai and London, uh, grew up there, grew up in a very, uh, wealthy family when I was younger. Crazy story behind that. Parents gave all of that away to move to Vancouver, Canada, uh, moved, uh, like I said, moved to Canada when I was 11, just turned 12. My first 12th birthday was here, went through a whole whirlwind of craziness, went to school to be a commercial airline pilot, dropped out of college three quarters of the way through, went into sales, mastered the art of sales, uh, built a very successful sales organization, multi six figures at a very young age, and then let all of that go to start again from the beginning, uh, to build now a, uh, marketing career that I have had over the last, uh, seven years or so uh been in the marketing world wow that was probably the most concise um breakdown that someone has given and it's awesome probably actually you probably got like the 60 seconds on the mark as well 
Um, I thought you were going to what? Why did your parents give up everything to uh, move to Vancouver? Um, initially, it was more of uh, to just kind of give my brother and myself a better lifestyle. Um, not that we didn't have a we had a solid lifestyle living back there. It's just I think uh, quality of life was the initial reason to why my parents uh, came out this way. Living in a third world country at the time, which was considered a third world country, um, was quite different. Even though we had like maids and drivers and you know like all, all that nine yards, um, it was I think that was their initial factor. And then now that I look back at it, there was a lot more to doing it that. Now that I've matured, it was a definitely an amazing decision on their end. Um, how, did growing up in that in abundance and lots of wealth have an effect on the decisions that you make now and how you view those certain things? Since you've already experienced having everything, um, does it kind of change your point of view on it? Oh man, absolutely! It was funny because you know you you hear you hear the stories of people where they go from rags to riches. Um, well, my story is different because I went from riches to rags to riches to rags back to riches again. Um, so I've had a roller coaster of it, and it's one of those situations where it's just like I've always like look in my head. It's like subconsciously like looking at when I grew up, um, you know, traveling first class every long weekend. I was in a different country, living in some of the best resorts in the world, um, knowing that when like I just didn't understand what that was because I was just kind of born into it. And then I came to Canada and we did like, oh, I've never seen my mom work a day in her life. Um, and then 12 years later, I have to go get a job. And I was like, that was the biggest shock of my entire life. And then having to come back from that, I was like, that was like, I think like a subconscious driving force for me uh, to, you know, getting started and doing what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you dropped out uh, three quarters of the way through a uh, commercial to become a commercial airline pilot and then ended up in the marketing world how did that kind of happen yeah so um so kind of my commercial on pilot dream kind of started from when i was back in india my my family owned one of the largest travel agencies out there we had offices all over the world um eventually my dad and my uncle who were partners on the company ended up um uh, founding an airline they'd want they started an airline out there um so now like watching that whole thing um happen in, in the younger ages of my life i literally was like oh this is cool i've been flying all my life now my dad and uncle own the bloody plane and taking people all over the world so now i may, may as well have the opportunity to want to start flying and that kind of like put a seat into my head um and then kind of just kept that dream going the entire way through elementary school high school even coming to canada right out of graduating uh, right after i graduated high school um, I just literally took like three weeks off and then went right into college to be a commercial on pilot. Um, and then from there, you know, going through that whole journey, I realized it was a very, very strong passion. Uh, but I didn't see it being something where I could turn it into a long-term career because I could see myself actually hating that more than anything because I enjoyed the flying part from the travel. I don't think I would have enjoyed the flying part for flying. Um, and to put kind of two in like a double-edged sword here, uh, that was one reason, but I still was battling that in my head. And then what ended up happening was three quarters of the way through graduate, just close to graduating, I had like one more certification to go through, which would have been another $30,000 or so. Um, and I got offered a job and right off, right out, it's like right then and there, they said, well, pretty much as soon as you're done, like the next day you can come up and we'll start when you could start working with us flying in Northern BC. And I was like, Oh yeah, how much would it cost? And they're like, Oh, minimum wage. And I was like, uh, sorry. And they're like uh, minimum wage. And I was like, 
Um, I make more at McDonald's currently. They're like, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're, you're very few, very few opportunities come to you where you can get a job as a pilot right out of college. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll let you guys know. And like, that was like the defi- defining moment in my head where it's like, I'm like, yeah, not doing this anymore. Uh, didn't even tell my parents actually for a few, for a few weeks that I didn't go to college. And then eventually when they found out that was a whole different whirlwind. <laughs> Were they quite shocked when you, uh, oh. When you yeah, it was, it, was, <laughs> it was crazy because like they'd known like that was my goal growing up like that was my one dream and my mom always says to everybody like since he was two years old and you could know exactly what a job was he'd always said he wanted to be a pilot and um and then the fact that i started it and like obviously smashing it through school and or through college and then um just kind of giving that up they were like completely in shock they didn't know what i was doing they're like uh he's just gonna he's gonna probably just wants to take a little bit of a break he'll end up going back but in my head i'm like i'm never going back i'm like i'll go back um and i'll start flying eventually again but i'll do it for the fact that i can like do it for my family and myself and i just kind of you know one of those situations where i can just completely tune out and go have some fun but i will i wouldn't never go back for a career perspective yeah that that makes a fair fair bit of sense what what drew you to the marketing world because you're doing lots of uh digital predominant kind of marketing from what I can tell. Um, what drew your love to that? I'm assuming that you'd have a love for it. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't do it. Absolutely, um, man. Yeah, so my, my soul, I got, dropped out of college. Um, and then literally, as soon as I dropped out of college, I had no idea what I was going to do, like at all. Um, however, what I didn't realize was what had seeded in my head was entrepreneurship and sales that I'd already been doing through high school. Um, and I'd gone through a bunch of sales things that I didn't really quote unquote call them sales because they were just summer gigs. And then a few entrepreneur gigs where I was like, I was importing stuff from China and selling it and making a fair bit of money. Um, so then one night I was literally, I think it was like two or three in the morning, I'm sitting on my laptop and I just kind of Googled, you know, how to make money. Um, and I think it was like in that year, it would have been 2008 and I was like, how to make money in 2008. And, uh, the top three things that came on Google, one of the, the most random blog ever, I wish I could find it or find a screenshot of that blog still. But the top three things that I saw was being a hooker, being a drug dealer or sales. And I was like, okay, well, the first two are definitely out of the question because I'm not doing either. Um, and then sales is like, okay, I'm like, it's something that I've always kind of enjoyed, but I never actually did a sales job. And then I just kind of got into sales. Did, um, that's a whole other story on how I got into sales and kind of like mastered that art, mastered the art of one-to-one, door-to-door sales, uh, built massive organizations two different times in two different companies. Um, and then just got bored to be completely honest with you of selling because there's like when you, when you master the art of one-to-one and, you know, you can go into a sale into someone's house in a 90 minute conversation, you know, turn around and do, uh, do a presentation and leave with $13,000. You're pretty good at what you do. Um, and it got boring for me. And then I was like, and you know, I was still only at this point, I would have been 21, uh, 21, 22. And I was like, I need to figure something else out. So I started kind of dabbling into the art of mastering one to many, which is marketing, um, selling to one to many, which is marketing and like reading books and kind of going through courses and stuff. Um, and then that, that kind of what drew me into marketing. And I love psychology. I love sales. I love, um, you know, just being able to make, you know, get people a certain decision and a certain outcome, finding a market, figuring out what that need is, and then filling that need with the product or a service. And that's kind of what made me, uh, take my sales background and then transition into marketing and that's where we are today yeah that, that's actually what i enjoy about marketing is just working out what someone wants it whether they know it or not and then turning it into an emotional decision yeah. i find that super fascinating and hey you can just 
don't want to say playing with people and manipulating people, but it's just, it's entertaining seeing like your hypothesis turn become truth. You're like, ah, suckers. Um, yeah, it's, it's literally it. It's, like it's, it's one of those things because you could like, like, you know, for example, we'll have a client a lot of times come to us for consulting, like not even just for done for you. So consulting, they're like, um, I have this amazing idea and this amazing product. I just don't know how to get it out there. And then you just start the whole, you know, mental battle and the mental game of getting them to see like, why did they create it? What made them do that? Because you want to, a lot of times when someone comes up with an idea or a product or something, you know, there's a reason to why they did it because it was usually a void that they had that they're trying to fill. And then if you can find an angle and then you can find a market and then the demand in that market to fill that, now you just got to kind of reverse engineer each piece of it and then write the copy and then come up with the creatives and everything else. So it's, it's, it's more of a science experiment without being a science experiment uh, to say the least. Yeah, and it's great now because you um like before the whole digital thing you couldn't really uh tangibly see your results like you couldn't run an ad and be like, "Oh, cool, that that's what it's done." Whereas now with all the tracking that you can do, you can run a 100 different things and you'd be like, "Awesome. That one word change changes all of this." And yeah, it's pretty fascinating with what we with what we can do now. Um, oh yeah, totally. Definitely makes it a whole whole lot more fun. So one question that I got asked to ask you is, who's your favorite Australian? Who's my favorite Australian? Like is from, it, uh, from just, a, in general, you'll upset uh, someone if you don't answer right. Uh, if I don't answer right, I'm going to upset somebody. That. Uh, let me let me think about this. Who would be my favorite Australian? Okay, I got the, the the funny part is I know so many Aussies, so this is a good setup here. Um, and if I'm putting pieces together in my head, and it's from Brisbane, I'm gonna say Vaughn. Yeah, <laughs> I ran into him the other day, and I'm like, um, oh, I'm interviewing Rohan. He's like, oh, shit, really? You should ask him who his favorite Australian is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, because like I've I've got a pretty decent Aussie following. Uh, some somehow, some way, and over fifty five percent of my business is done in Australia, which I don't understand how um still to this day it's a big question mark of how that snowball started but it's an amazing place and you know me coming out there for clients and and then my wife's family moving out there and everything else has just been more and more reason for me to wanting to come out there are you planning to move here or do you plan to stay in vancouver for a fair while we've we've like my wife and i have toyed with the idea of potentially doing six and six like six months in vancouver six months there um and then on the back end of that um we and then we've i've even toyed of just completely moving to brisbane um but right now my wife owns a daycare here so it's our child care center here so it's kind of it's it's a harder decision because if it was just you know both of us were online and and it would be i could just literally just pack everything up and get on a plane and find a place to live in newstead or something um But right now, it's, it's, there's a lot more logistics. But I think six and six would end up being more of an ideal scenario from what it looks like. Yeah. Is your is your whole team online or do you have a physical office? Like what, how have you structured it? Um, no. So it, it's actually a mixture. So we've got four guys that work from Vancouver uh, that work with me. Um, then my business partner works on the east coast of Canada. Um, we've got another media buyer that works in Florida, another media buyer that works in the UK. Um, and then we've got uh, a graphic designer that's in Toronto media, um, article writers that work out of, uh, Toronto as well. And that's weird. We've got like three people now in Toronto. Um, and then another article writer uh, is in Denver. And then we've got a couple sprinkled in the Philippines in terms of like VAs and uh, yeah. design that we 
needed stuff. Yeah. And then, and then actually we've got Vaughn now that we've onboarded, um, to kind of come in and help with some of the Aussie operations because we're scaling it so heavily. Okay. How do you find working with, uh, remote people in different time zones and trying to uh, organize that? Man, at the end of the day, the way I look at it is, you know, everything has got its uh, benefits and drawbacks. Um, the benefits of it is, you know, it gives people the opportunity to actually prove their worth, prove themselves because it's, it's a lot of self-motivation um, for them. And if they don't, if they don't perform, you can tell very, very quickly uh, that if they're slacking or whatever the, whatever the issues end up being. On the other end, the drawbacks of that is pretty much the way I look at it is, you know, I'd rather have sometimes I look back and be like, man, I wish I could just have everybody here and have the camaraderie going and, you know, just a full team office and everybody just kind of coming in and doing fun Fridays or whatever. Um, but it's one of those situations where it's just kind of, we built it the way we built it. And, you know, am I, would I go back and do it any differently? Probably not. I actually enjoy the way it's built out. Um, and I'm totally, totally cool with, you know, what we're doing right now, maybe down the road, two, three years down the road, if we end up scaling it and, you know, Five Xing the company, we might end up having to go a different direction. Uh, but for now, it's worked really, really well. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so, out of out of everyone that you've met, um, who are a couple of the people that have really stood out as being like some of the most inspiring? So, I'll describe that a bit better. As in, like sometimes you just meet some people and they just give off an energy to where you know that they're going somewhere, and the energy that they're giving off is just like you're like wow that you got to keep looking at them because like you know that they're going to going to achieve massive things in the short future are there any people that come to your mind when uh, i describe that type of person it's funny because it's uh it's a really a question actually um a lot of the times the way i the way i go out seeking for people like that like that's one of the things that i enjoy doing heavily um and the way i do that is i usually try and get myself into myself into masterminds that even though i'm not probably the most qualified person to join those masterminds um i just kind of join into one and i just did it last year um i joined a mastermind cost a lot of money to join it but the reason why i did it was i knew the caliber of people and the first event that I went to, I do not get uncomfortable in environments. And this was one where I was extremely uncomfortable, the very, like the first like hour, hour and a half of being there because I'm sitting and in the room, I end up putting myself beside there's $3 billion companies in that company, in that mastermind. And I end up sitting and choosing the seats beside all three of them. And I was like, what are the chances of this? Um, so like, that's kind of, that's, that's a lot of the times well, like where I look at it and then I'll just like, just from like, you know, talking to them and I, I just want to learn and I, and you know learning is one of my biggest values in life and just observing those people and what they've done and then just kind of finding a mentor within those relationships and not like not typically being like a typical mentor mentor but just like you know it's like picking their brain for certain things and then you know giving them value and then eventually they just want to scratch your back so it's a very unique way of kind of answering your question i think um but that's usually the way i don't have one specific person yeah i do have a lot of different people in different parts and areas of my life that i that i look at from that perspective yeah for sure that that's a really good answer to that actually um that's a really good answer um yeah that that kind of threw me back it was it's quite interesting in how you you're kind of saying that for example if you need help in a certain part of your life you go out just seeking those type of people and then find almost seems like you're almost trying to put yourself in the position to where you feel uncomfortable because that's where the growth is is that what you're kind of trying to say yeah man that's pretty much what i'm trying to say is because at the end of the day if 
if I'm not uncomfortable or learn or like in a situation where I know for a damn fact that, you know, like I, I need to grow to be part of that. Like then I know I'm not doing something right. And majority of like my life, I think I've is kind of fed me that entire um, feeling of being uncomfortable. And I, to a certain degree, kind of enjoy it. It's weird, but I kind of enjoy it. Um, and, you know, growth comes from being uncomfortable a lot of the times. And that's kind of what's made me chase that, not like just kind of put someone on a pedestal and look up to them. Yeah. Before you said, you, you said that you um, weren't qualified to be uh, part of that mastermind. And that brings me back to something. I don't, don't know where I heard it, but if someone's like, no one actually knows what they're doing, everyone's just kind of working out their own way. Do you, do you believe that, that no one really actually knows fully what they're doing? Everyone's just kind of working it out along the way and helping each other? Um, yes, to a certain degree. No matter what, at the end of the day, the way you, I look at everything is, you know, most of the guys that have done anything massively different in this world is they've just done it from a visionary perspective, right? Like, you got that's what they really do. And then they just hire the smartest freaking people to come in and fill those gaps. Um, so... Yeah, like that, that that statement holds some weight to it for sure. The way it's just like they may not know what they're doing in that moment, but they know where they're, what they're doing to get what they want to achieve at the end of the day and they'll find a way to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so step back from your agency. You're also doing, by the seems that you're doing it on running courses and doing some educational sides of things. What drew you into that? sphere of wanting to give back almost and teach instead of being a practitioner in uh, that field or doing both um yeah so kind of the way it's funny because in today's day and age in the digital world everybody's teaching first before doing um i just was head down focused getting you know just putting putting you know pen to paper and getting things happen to make make it happen um, getting results, proving the results. And then now that I have a results system and, um, you know, social proof to prove what I've done, I could turn around and teach. And, you know, from one end at the uh, one end of the spectrum, I enjoy learning on the other end of the spectrum. I enjoy teaching. So if I'm going to be doing something that I can, I know that I can benefit, that's kind of what caused it. That's part of it. And then the other part of it was, uh, people hounding me for ages just to come out with a course and kind of, cause I, from the events that I've spoken at and stuff, I usually just go speak at events and don't pitch anything. Cause it's just from a value perspective. Um, and then people hounding me to teach them exactly my strategies and the way we've built clients, the way we've built our agency, which is very unique. So that's kind of a two sided story, but initially it came from just, you know, wanting to teach it because i've now mastered it and on the other end uh people finally getting getting through to me like dude you're missing out on a lot if you don't teach and like i'm not going to teach until i know i'm 100 confident which i am now yeah yeah i i strongly believe that those who can't teach and i notice it a fair bit and particularly in the um digital marketing world we're not it can seem pretty confusing but like if you're talking to someone that hasn't played around with any of it they might get very confused but I see a lot of people that have run one or two Facebook campaigns and then suddenly in the Instagram bio, it's a uh, digital marketing expert. And it just yeah. always confuses the hell out of me. I'm like, how, how can you do it? How can you say that? How can you possibly yeah. be an expert at something if you've done it for all of five minutes? Um, yeah, literally. <laughs> so that, that's one of my massive pet peeves is when I look at someone that's teaching a course, I always like to um, follow back and see what they've actually done. And... Um, try and work out like kind of being like 
do I want to spend my money on someone's course? Is it, are they teaching real, real shit? And nine out of 10 times, someone hasn't done anything in their life. They've just taught a course. It's quite, it's quite interesting and frustrating at the same time. Um, it, def- it definitely is. And it's, and it's one of those situations where it's like, I get called out a lot because I'll go on rant- on tangents calling people out on my Instagram because I just see this every day and it drives me nuts. And it's like, prove something, like give me some kind of physical results, not just some one-off campaign that you spent a hundred dollars on and you got some pretty epic results. It's like, go and spend a million bucks in a campaign with some set solid results and solid sales. Then you can, then you can come and say, okay, you've done something right. But till then, it's like you are not a digital marketing expert or even a marketing expert so you don't understand all parts and pieces of what's, uh, what needs to get fixed. Yeah, I think, think it's you that post on your story where you um, have like a, your amount spent on Facebook and then the amount of website purchases. And it's usually yeah. by the seams, it's like four times the amount. And it's like, all right, you're not running $100 ads. You're running massive, massive campaigns that are getting results that are actually noteworthy. <laughs> They're not like little piss week things. Yeah, man. And it's, uh, it's funny because a lot of, um, a lot, our, our minimum spend now for client, I think is at, what is it at 25,000 a month? I think is what our minimum spend is. Um, and that's not like, our, that's not like what we, we're not just taking on anybody lower. It's just what we're, what we, what we're at. Like our, that's on the minimum December. We had, we had multiple clients average like north of $250,000 a month in ad spend. So it's like, that's marketing. And like, that's buying media because it's clients aren't going to spend that kind of money with you in a month. If you're not going to be able to pull through, um, pull through the entire, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the results that they want and getting that like two to one row as anybody can do when it comes to three to one, four to one, where you're actually arbitraging and making a client some serious bang for their buck. That's when you know you're making a massive difference. Yeah. And it's also where you end up paying the agencies a fair bit of money to do that because at the end of the day, they need to find the best talent in the world. And it's, it's a massive, um, thing that also pisses me off is that lots of business owners just want to go for the cheaper people not realizing that if you're hiring an agency particularly they have to continuously put resources into growing their staff and finding the best staff so then they can get the good results and it's it's to me it revolves back to our people always like to talk first and then think about getting educated later um, yeah, <laughs> and it's which is one of my biggest pet peeves, and I will still stand for that all the time, and just call people out if, you, if I think you're bullshit, and you're going to get called out as a bullshit artist. Do you get many people get um pissed off at you when you call them out? Oh man, oh, all the time, all the time. Um, but it's just polarizing my audience at the end of the day too, and it's just like, and if 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 I if you get pissed off at me for calling you out, I've hit the right chord that I wanted to hit because then that goes that goes to show me even more that what you're doing is a bunch of BS. Yeah, do you like? Are you the type of person that'll take um, honest critiquing? Like, um, like if someone says that you're doing something wrong, will you get upset or like hurt and then try and learn from it? Or like, how do you respond to that kind of negative feedback or someone potentially calling you out on their Instagram and that kind of thing? How do you react to that? A lot of the times, if someone if someone gives me like honest, like positive, like just absolute, you know, like positive feedback, where it's like or like critiquing it from a perspective of like, hey, dude, if I were you, I'd do this differently because of X, Y, and Z. I'm going to take that and apply for it. But if you're gonna just come at me from like a keyboard warrior perspective, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you to prove to me why you're why that 
why you want me to actually take that critique. Um, so it's like if it, if someone's got proof as to why I'm m- making a making a mistake, or you know, and I'm always learning at the end of the day. You know, it's like you know, people are doing things that are a lot of different ways. It's like you know, the, the term of you know, you get skin a cat a thousand ways. Um, no exact, no one way is correct. But if there's a way that can make it quicker uh, and or better, you're always going to be open to learning that. Yeah, um, it goes back to judging the performance, not the performer, uh, which I think is very powerful, and people need to distinguish it a little bit more. Um, so from. I'm kind of picking up that you're always trying to step forward and move forward. How do you, um, like when you wake up and especially on the days that you don't really don't feel like it, how do you force yourself to continuously um, grow and improve yourself daily and try and stop yourself from um, stagnating in one part of your life? Almost like how do you check against yourself to make sure that you're not, you're not doing the same shit every day. You're constantly evolving and doing bigger things and moving forward yeah um at the end of the day you know not every every day is a motivated day um there are days where you're just like i just want to sleep and not wake get out of bed and those are the ones where you just have to force yourself and you know and then and then when you force yourself out of bed and you're whether it's having that cold ass shower to wake you up and then think about why are you even doing this um and then the biggest thing for me is just growth and you know growth from a perspective of knowledge, growth from a perspective of, um, you know, social, whether it's vocational, just kind of I'm always figuring out what angle is going to inspire me in that day, because no matter what, I may not want to get out of bed to start and get to work, but I may also, but I might be inspired to do something very, very specific for that day. And what is that day? And then kind of just put myself into there because that's going to create an emotion inside of me that's going to want to start moving no matter which way I go and then kind of take that and, and then snowball that one for the rest of the week. Okay. Do, do you have a, um, like a big overarching goal that you're always referring back to, like whether it be X amount of money or um, like your almost life mission, like what you wanted your life to look like that pushes you to take the macro decisions throughout the day? My, my biggest thing is, my, I think my most biggest underlining factor of what drives me every single day is just not having to go through some of the crazy shit that I've actually gone through in my life and, you know, going from like, we briefly touched on it earlier in the in the podcast and talking about, you know, my life that I lived and having that wealth to lose it, to not technically losing it all, but not having to restart with my family and then building it up myself and going on that whole route. I think that's more of a driving factor, but from a vision perspective, I think I just want to make a bigger difference. Um, and, you know, everybody in their dogs appreciate making a bigger difference. But for me, it's like making a bigger difference in a business perspective, um, because I know a few decisions that my families could have done back in the day, which would have transitioned to a lot of different outcomes today, uh, because I see it from a different perspective now. And a lot of, you know, the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, phenomenon that one in five businesses fail. I want to try and bring that down as much as I possibly can, um, or one in five businesses succeed, um, and four to five businesses fail in the first five years. I want to try and bring that number down as much as I can. Uh, so that I can make a bigger difference in the business world by my knowledge and my skill set and everything else. Like that's what drives me on two different ends of things. Yeah, for sure. That number is actually higher in um, Australia. I believe it's either eight or nine out of ten fail within the first five years, which is ridiculous. Um, that's ridiculous yeah, it's yeah. ridiculously high. It 
it almost seemed like that you were scared to go back to the um not not scared, a little bit fearful and a little bit of fear driven to not go back to the rags. Is it is that does that play a role in you wanting to always um evolve and improve yourself? That you as much as you want want to achieve the goals forward, you also don't want to go backwards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you've had a roller coaster and you know you've had it, you've lost it, you've had it, you've lost it, and you've had it again, um, that that kind of thing is that carrots always there. It's like don't fuck this one up um, and go back to where you were before. But in my head, the way I look at it now is like you know, even if shit hit the fan and every I was to lose everything again, I know internally that I could turn everything back around within a very short amount of time, just from what I have and the skill sets that I have and the database that I've built. Um, that I could make it happen. And even if I lost all the database and I didn't have anything again, I know for a fact just with uh, the conviction and belief that it would ta- would not take me a long time to get back on my feet again. Yeah, for sure. With sticking on fear for a second, um, like, you know when you see those old people and they're, they're just like t- with technology particularly, people that are older, they're trying to do something on like a computer. And to us as the younger generation, it seems so easy, but they just don't get it. Are you scared that that is going to happen to you in any part of your life, that you're just going to reach a point to where that you just don't get something that the younger generation is doing or you just don't understand something because you've outgrown it or something like that? Like I feel like that with music at the moment. I just listen to some of the music in like top 100 in Spotify and I'm like, I don't understand how this is good at all. <laughs> Do you fear that kind of, yeah. feel that kind of fear yeah. in anything outside of music? You can't steal yeah. mine. Um, no, I, I, I'm with you in the music part because sometimes I listen to some of these rap songs and I'm like, are they even speaking English? Like, what is even going on in here? Um, but no, I totally understand. Like, I'm sure this could be parts of my life and everybody's going to have that where it's like, you know, at some point where you get to, you start to realize where it's like, okay, well, do I really need to know that or do I really need to learn that? And is that part of my, like, is that going to serve me? Um, from a perspective of, let's say, technology or, you know, computers or, you know, marketing or digital, whatever. I don't think I'll ever get there. At least I hope not, because it's one of the things that I always am learning and always want to keep growing. Um, but, you know, if rappers start humming and people start understanding what they're saying, that's a different story because I don't know if I'd want to go down and listen to that kind of music. Yeah, very fair enough. Um, quickly on uh, marketing. Uh, you seem like seems like your clients spend a hell of a lot of uh, money with you, which is always great. What's your take on um, above the line traditional kind of marketing billboards, uh, TV, and all that? What's your take on it, and what do you think of it? I think it still works, man. Um, to be completely honest with you, a lot of our clients still use um, radio. Um, we've got clients that still use TV. Um, billboards or billboards are a unique one because billboards make sense for certain things. Not for a lot, not for what they do, like they used to back in the day. But from a TV perspective, direct mail, I'm still a big, big fan of um, because there's less and less people doing proper direct mail nowadays. Um, but yeah, for sure, TV. I've actually toyed with the idea of maybe even doing some kind of infomercial um, over the next couple of years, in the next one to two years, and seeing you know what kind of results I can generate from an from an infomercial to see if that's even still plausible. Um, because most people, as much as people are hating about it, it's like, you know, well, let's uh, let's have a digital guy go old school and see if he can make it work. And if he can make it work, then you guys are just making excuses. Do you just think that it's um, a matter of that the big thing that people have against uh, these traditional methods is that 
for a fair while they were very expensive because there was no competition against it. And then now that people are kind of starting to split up their uh, media buying across digital and traditional, is that it's almost making it slightly more affordable and you, your return can be better? Or do you not think that plays a role in it? No, I don't think it does at all, actually, because okay. it's two different worlds. Yeah. it's Do they go hand in hand? Yes. Do they go the affordability factor if they're spending on both ends they've got they've got money to spend um if that kind of makes sense yeah, absolutely yeah. It, it absolutely yeah. makes sense with networking what would you say your how how have you found success in networking and meeting people that uh force you to level up so the people that are a couple of steps ahead of you uh maybe the people that you would um, eventually want to achieve similar goals that they have how do you force yourself to go out there meet those people and how do you meet those people for, for what's worked for you it's funny because that um if you ask any of my business friends or um marketing friends the one thing that they'll say is my probably my biggest skill set is networking oh, really? um yeah and part of the reason we work with some of the big brands and you know big celebrities and stuff that we work with today uh and it's just come all of it's come from networking and the biggest thing is just hanging out with the right places and how do you find those right places going to the right events um and then goes back to the the question earlier is like putting myself in uncomfortable surroundings um joining masterminds where you know the people are going to hang out like you're not going to find nine figure earners um or billion dollar companies hanging out at um you know at a mastermind that's going to cost five thousand dollars they're going to be the ones spending you know thirty forty fifty a hundred thousand dollars to join a mastermind because they are going to want to surround themselves around those kind of people um and that's like that's usually my networking angle it's like okay find the top of the top figure out how to, how to get myself in there and then just build a solid strong foundation of relationships and then and then you know give them as much value as i possibly can and go from there that's part of the reason why i've like you know that's a second tier to that too is the reason why i've put a lot of heavy emphasis in networking my way to the top is because Let's say, for example, if shit hits a fan, I know for a fact I can call any one of them up and be like, yo, I need a job. And uh, somebody's going to give me one. Yeah. Um, because of the relationships and me bending over backwards for them and, you know, just helping them out any way I possibly can. Yeah. With, with that, if um, shit does hit the fan for you and everything was to strip back or almost everything, you get to keep one or two things in your life, uh, what things would those be? To, so, to give you an example, um, there's uh, a person I follow on Instagram that openly says that he would happily lose all of his companies, all of his money, but um, and he would give it all up for his dogs, for example. Yeah. Um, are there those yeah. things in your life that you would be like, I don't care if whatever anything else is, as long as I have these key pillar things in my life, I'll still be happy. Uh, family, man. Like family, at the end of the day, is my biggest is the biggest thing for me. Is like I know for a fact, no matter what happens. Um, it's just, I've always been like every single time I've lost it all. My family has always been there, even though when they've not supported my decisions, um, that's probably the biggest thing for me. Uh, other than that, that and my sales skill set would probably be the two things that I would say if I could keep anything and lose everything else, I would be totally okay with it because having those two things and be able to rebuild it fairly quickly. Yeah. With your sales, um, there's always there's a million people out there that say this is how you become a successful salesperson. What would you say that it actually takes for someone to be successful in sales? That's a good question because 
the way I say, like sales is one of those things where it's like, I'd say it's a learned art. And most people think that they don't know or cannot sell. Um, the biggest thing to be successful in sales is understanding, yes, you can learn NLP. Yes, you can learn scripts, read books, everything else. At the end of the day, a salesperson's decision is to take a prospect um, and have them make a decision based on a series of questions that maybe probe them to make the decision. And the decision could be yes, could be no. At the end of the day, that's all they need to do. The prospect just needs to make a decision. And that is the way I look at, you know, concising sales in a very short amount uh, or a short little blurb. Um, but from the other angle of it, it's, it's just making, just doing it and like getting it done and learning and failing and learning and failing and learning and failing and then mastering it that way. Awesome. I don't think you could have answered that one any better. Um, I'm very glad you didn't go down some of the more macro, like using tools like scripts and all that. Um, you actually gave a true answer of learning and failing, which is, which is great. Um, what's your favorite place in the world, man? Aside from Brisbane, you can't say Brisbane because <laughs> like if you were to go on a holiday, your favorite holidaying place uh, can't be in Australia. Oh, my favorite, can't be in Australia. Can't be Australia. My, favorite, uh, my favorite place in the world to go. That's a very unique question because by the age of 11, I'd seen a lot of the world. Um, it's a very educated decision then. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm, just, I'm sitting in front of a massive world map and I'm looking at it right now. Um it's hard because I, I, people ask me that all the time. What's the favorite place you've ever been to? And I can't just pick one place and say that has been my favorite place because a lot of times if I really like something, I've gone back there, but I've gone back there for something that I've really enjoyed, whether it's the culture, the yeah. food, the people, uh, the booze. Um, you know, it really, it, it, every place has got a different perspective. It just comes down to what you enjoy. Um, I'd say if there's one place that I do miss going to as much as I grew up a lot of my life, there would be Dubai. Okay. Um, and what it, and what it has turned into today is a completely different city than what it was when I was down there. Because now it's like a, you know, if Vegas, New York, and Miami had a baby. It's Dubai. Um, because when but when I grew up there, it was literally like beautiful, serene beaches, three buildings, three to five tall, massive skyscrapers, oh, wow. and then the desert. Um, versus today, it's just massive, like concrete jungle. Do you still like it? I, I still love it. Yeah, I'm, like for me, it's like I always go back and I like I still remember like well, I was there in 2006 last. I actually just got asked to speak there in March of this year, um, which is next month actually. Um, but um, yeah, and I still go back and every time I go back to Dubai, I'm like, wow, this place. Like you just like in your in my head, I picture what it was like, and then I look at it now, and it's like it's such an amazing. Um, what's what I'm looking for such an amazing vision to look at what the ruler has done and built that into because he saw that in, like from a visionary and a business and a marketing perspective if you look at what that place has actually turned into the original rule one of the original rulers knew that they were going to run out of oil what are what else could they turn that small little part of the world into and being in the middle of the earth pretty much like exactly in the middle of the earth they've turned it into one of the most traveled destinations today. It probably is because it's now considered the busiest airport in the world. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know that. It's in- yeah, it's beat. It's beat every other airport in the world um, in terms of uh, the amount of passengers that it pushes through. Just from transit perspective, the airline. The airline has been growing like mad, and so and the tra- and it's just boosted their travel. Um, their travel industry out there. Okay, that's pretty interesting. It kind of makes me uh, realize that I don't know anything about Dubai and I should learn more. Um, on, on the flip side of that question, what place do you most dislike that you've been to? 
what is a place that I most dislike that I've been to? Uh, that's a good one. Um, well, it wasn't out to be completely honest with you coming from, from being in Aussie, I was not a fan of Bali. Really? Well, what did you dislike yeah. about Bali? Um, I've been to Thailand like eight times in my life and comparing, and I've been to other parts like Hong Kong, Thailand, um, Vietnam, all those places. I just thought Bali was just such an overly blown out, piped up social media spot of the world. And then you go there and it's like the, the culture is cool, but it's just like, other than that, it really has nothing to offer except a bunch of, um, Aussies drinking bintangs and getting really fucked up on the beaches. <laughs> I like it that that was your takeaway from it, a whole bunch of Aussies. <laughs> it, it is. Like, it's faster from Brisbane. It's faster to get to Bali than it is to, like, Perth. It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I could not believe it. And I'm like, if, I even literally said to myself, I'm like, if for whatever reason I ever end up moving to um, Brisbane, I would never make Bali my go-to destination. It would end up being Thailand. I, I love Thailand. Like, from a food perspective, a people perspective, that's another country. Like, if you were to say what well, my favorite places in the world would be, would definitely be would definitely be Thailand. I've never felt more safe in a third world country uh, in my entire life than I am in Thailand. That That's pretty interesting, actually, because you hear a lot of people saying that, like, to be really careful in uh, those kind of countries. Like, I, uh, human trafficking is high and all that. But it's interesting hearing that it feels quite safe from someone that's clearly been there yeah, a few man. times. Oh, I, 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 like Thailand. If I, like, I have, that's another thing is like one of the other things that I've also told my wife, is like if world war three was ever to happen and you know, you know, Canada was to go to war on a massive scale, we're moving to a third world country because we know that they're not going to get touched. And one of the places we'd go to is Thailand because it's just like, we've had such amazing experiences there. People are the, re- the reason they call it a country of smiles is because literally people have nothing and they're always smiling. Um, and the food is just so amazing. And it's like, you know, your dollar goes so far. It's actually crazy. Yeah. What with um, that, with it held some, um, you mentioned world war three. What do you think would um, like on a global scale? What are you fearful of that will happen? That could, um, reduce the quality of life for all of humans so like elon musk um has started uh tesla for the pure fact that um if we keep going down the coal coal route we're all going to end up dying and killing our earth is there something like that that you're quite fearful of and a problem that needs to be fixed uh before we it's too late honestly not really uh, and the reason why i look at that is it like Growing up, if you asked me this question about six, seven years ago, I probably said, yeah, uh, there have been a couple of things. But now that I look at everything, everything's got comes in balance, right? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Johnny Martini and studying his work and understanding and like just get asking him questions of like, you know, global warming and wars and everything else. And he's like, for every good, there's bad. Um, And no matter what happens, it's like, you know, look at the exact exact, um, analogy you just gave. It's like, you know, Elon Musk created something good for potentially what the rest of the world looks at that is bad. Uh, but it's just going to prolong our life on, on this planet. And, you know, electric cars are going to probably out outtake gas-powered cars, probably even while we're uh, going to be alive in our generation. So it's going to be interesting to see. No matter what happens, um, you know, even even if you look at a few about a year and a half, two years ago, you, everybody was predicting World War Three. Donald Trump running for the United States of America and Kim Jong Un sitting in front of the red nuclear button. Like, but it's like at the end of the day, you just got to look at it from a 
more macro perspective and like stand back and look at is that actually really going to happen and if it did you really telling me the rest of the world would not come together and just nuke that entire country like it would never happen do you think world war three is possible i personally don't i personally think it's highly unlikely because since world war two our mean our way to communicate with each other has evolved significantly and i just kind of hope that we have learned from those mistakes and I personally believe that it's highly unlikely that there'll be another war to that scale. Uh, but what do you think? What's your take on it? I don't. I honestly don't think so. Um, for it to get to the point where it's like World War II style, like the, the chances of that happening, I doubt it would survive. Um, people like humanity in itself would come together at that point in time and be like, and try and put an end to it before any government or army or military tried to do anything to get to that scale and especially like you said you know communication is so much quicker where we i can communicate with you on the other side of the earth in seconds versus back in the day we didn't even have that opportunity yeah it's pretty amazing and i definitely feel very blessed when i get to do this and talk to people that otherwise probably wouldn't have got to meet ever um yeah which somewhat brings me to my next question it's marketing related again um what in your opinion what has been the most successful campaign that's ever run what has been the most successful campaign that we've ever run? Not you personally as um, a company, but that has ever been run in the world. So something that uh, may have affected the masses to the biggest scale and has influenced potentially a generation or influenced how we do anything. Oh, man, the, the original Apple commercial. Okay. Wh- why do you say that? Well, if you just look at that, that, that ad on YouTube – and go back to see the way it was actually structured and the way like the new generation of them creating that. And then you look at what they went through, um, you know, from almost failing, losing, losing Steve jobs at one point, uh, Steve jobs going to another company, Pixar creating Pixar coming back and then taking Apple, bringing out the iPhone and then the iPhone trend, like literally transforming the world. It all started from the vision of Apple initially, which started. And then that entire marketing commercial, like built on that entire, like built the foundation for the rest of that company, in my in my opinion, and the way it's gone from there. And now you look at, you know, Apple is the number one, or iPhone's the number one phone sold in the entire world. Um, from some from a from an idea and a concept that started in the eighties. Yeah, it, that, yeah, that's it's pretty interesting. I thought you were going to say something like the um, like either the beers or something to do with Coke or something like that, but that's actually quite an interesting answer and significantly more relevant because we all we're all living in it now um yeah i'd say de beers is uh de beers is a unique one because de beers also did the marketing angle for the wedding ring or the engagement ring yeah um the one that created you know when they had the massive influx of diamonds and didn't know what to do with it like you look at that marketing angle that's genius at the same time is you know absolutely retarded in my opinion but you can't hate you can't hate a solid marketer uh, for coming up with a really good hook, you know, it's like a man's best friend's a dog, a woman's best friend's a diamond. Like, how do you how do you argue with that? Yeah, exactly. It has no logical sense, which to me is what's really smart about it. Uh, what What do you think about that whole thing around engagement and weddings? What's your view on that? For someone that's been engaged and had and has been married, if I were to go back and do it all over again, I wouldn't. Um, to okay. be completely honest with you. 
Um, would I like, you don't need to be, you don't need to go through the whole world of spending stupid amounts of money on diamond rings and, uh, that, cause you look at a diamond, what's a diamond? It's actually a piece of cold pressurized to make a diamond. Um, unless you really find a real diamond from a diamond mine, which is very, very rare these days anyways, that, and most mass produced diamonds are just cold, um, on the one end. And then on the opposite end, the way I look at it is, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go through the whole engagement thing to go through a whole wedding thing. But I go back and, you know, maybe my wife have had this conversation. It's like, we would do it in a very different way. Just have a, we'd probably have a wedding, but it would be more of just a party and wouldn't really want the government involved in trying to, you know, like it's the most weirdest thing ever. It's like, like I've read a meme, I think once before where it says, you know, the, the term marriage or the term wedding, let's get the government involved so that I can lock you down. You can't go anywhere. What's more creepier than anything on this planet than that. Um, that's kind of part of the reason to what, and then on the opposite end too, it's just like, why the money that I spent to do that, if I put that into my business or into, you know, our retirement, how much farther would we have been today? Uh, that's another part of it. And then, you know, the whole philosophical side of it, which we're not, that's a whole, that's a whole different podcast to be completely honest with you. Um, and where I could deep dive very, very deep into that whole perspective. But it's like, you know, if you really want to be with someone, be with someone for the rest of your life, you don't really have to, you know, go down the road of getting married and doing all that bullshit for no reason. (laughs) Yeah. And your partner feels the same about that. Now she does, but I, if I probably pitch that to her, but you know, we've been we've been married uh, five years, and uh, if I pitch that to her five years or six years ago, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have not got married. So it's a very different, but it's part of the, the education factor of a lot of things, and um, you know, just growing, um, growing into that has come to come to where it's at today, and it's it's funny to see because my younger brother. Um, it's kind of seen me go through all of that stuff. And now, you know, he's at a point where he's toying with the idea of what to do. And he's been with his partner for a very long time. And, um, I know for a fact he, him and I have very similar views on the whole engagement thing. And he's made it very clear with his girl too. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. Again, going back to that original DBS campaign, it would, it makes it pretty hard when it's instilled in the culture. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's just all of the, everything is culture driven, right? It's like, why does it need to be? It's like, you know, this, and then, and then, and then, and then let's just add, let's just stack it on top of that. It's like, oh, okay, so you have to get an engagement ring. Then you got to get an, a wedding ring to match the engagement ring. Then now the culture has driven themselves into, oh, you've been married for five years. Most marriages fail in the first five years. So you should get her a five year ring. And I'm sitting here thinking, whose fucking idea was any of this dumbness? But it's like, from a marketing perspective, if I was to own a jewelry shop, I'd be running the shit out of those campaigns. But on the opposite end, from a culture perspective, you know, if you're going to fall for that, you deserve to be an idiot and uh, and fall for that. So it's like it's once again, it's balance. You know, on one end, someone's uh, monetizing on somebody else's demise of, you know, just falling for what the culture is telling them to do. Yeah, it's uh, almost a borderline our way of natural selection. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you feel like that we're mitigating the how natural selection is going so like with the way that we've got all of these medical technology that we can extend someone's life drastically um we can get people that would have otherwise not survived and turn that them from that situation to a situation where they can survive and then go on and have families that this would probably be very uh, controversial with some people but do you feel like that we're doing that too far to the extent that um like back when we didn't have technology wasn't as good if something was wrong with you when you were born you'd 
normally natural selection would kick in and you would die then um those you, you wouldn't be able to reproduce therefore potential bad genes wouldn't be able to keep going do you feel like we're reducing that and even on a micro scale to where really like um unintellectual people are um, almost populating into certain areas of town and everyone there has a significantly lower iq for example do you feel like we're doing people that continue growing up in those areas are already disadvantaged and you feel like that we should be doing more to help that. So it's almost like a two-part question, if I explained that properly. I think I think I got what you're yeah. saying. Um, it's very um, broad-winded. But um, yes, and, yes and no. At the end of the day, you know, from the natural selection perspective, it's like humanity still goes to that, right? It's like you got to look at it from the perspective of, you know, one in four women still have a miscarriage today, wow. um, which most people don't talk about. No, most people aren't even educated on that. And, you know, so that's that's the universe doing what its original form of natural selection really is. Um, but on the opposite end of things of, you know, doing all the stem cell stuff or forcing things to happen when they need to happen, um, do I agree with it? No. But then there's also the opposite end of it. Then there's some people that are just unfortunate where it's like there's really truly nothing wrong with them. And for whatever reason, from a health perspective, they just can't conceive or just can't go about doing it. So it's like if you've got to go down the road of, you know, getting, um, you know, the medical ways of the new age medical ways, quote unquote, of getting things to work, then go down that route. And then on the opposite end of helping fix a lot of those issues. Yeah, kind of agree with it but then there's the opposite side of things too where it's like you know there's some certain types of people or certain types of diseases or things that people have that should really not just be brought continued on or duplicated into this world and that's where it's like i fight a lot of the times of like okay my head like justifying like does that make sense but it's like at the end of the day it's every human's decision for themselves and is it going to help humanity in the long run i'm sure someone somewhere somehow will figure something out to balance the entire equation yeah, for sure. So we'll start to wrap it up soon. Um, but um, what is a unpopular belief that so something that the masses may not agree with you, but you strongly believe? So, for example, when I asked Vaughn this question, he thought he brought up um, the gender pay gap, and that was his unpopular belief. And I know a few people got upset and annoyed at him for his point of views, which indicates to me that he was very honest with what he said. What would you say that one of your, un- I believe that you have that might be unpopular to the masses? Oh man, I got a few. <laughs> Top one. Um, the one. The one that I think I get hated on for the most is telling people that college is a big waste of money. Okay. Um, did- because, every- and the reason why I say that is because I've been there. Yeah. Um, I've spent a lot of money. And then, you know, th- through the entire process, I spent a lot of fucking money in a very short amount of time uh, to expedite my pilot career. And then to realize I'm only going to get paid a minimum wage job and to work in the coldest part of Canada, which I already am not the biggest fan of being in the cold, um, just did not make any sense. And then you start looking and doing research on like, you know, colleges and universities. And um, the way I look, it's, it's so funny because when I went to school, I got a loan to go to school, no problem at the age of 18 with like barely any credit. But then when I went to go launch my business and I wanted to get 20 grand to start my business, the banks turned me down. And then you look at that into, and you step back from a meta level and you look at that entire analogy right there. 
um, is exactly what's causing this entire economy and this entire world to be so fucking upside down. That doesn't make any sense. Let's let's give students at the age of 17, 18, an absolute annihilation amount of debt that they know that they're not going to be able to pay off for an average of 20 years. It takes an average person that once they graduate out of college to pay off um, and then give them knowledge that's usually three to four years delayed by someone that's got no results in that specific space to then charge them all that money. And it's just like a full-blown cyclical cycle that does not make any sense to me. In today's day and age, there's more information available online, on YouTube, in books that you can go and learn for fraction, for pennies, and if not free, um, a lot of the times and make a bigger difference than any college or university can do. Now, that being said, there's a few things that I do believe in. If you want to go and be a damn doctor or go and be a lawyer, you need those uh, parts of things. But for anything else, when it comes to business, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to being a chef, when it comes to being an artist, all of that stuff, you don't need to be spending Sixty to two hundred thousand dollars in school. Yeah, for sure. And also, if like you don't want, uh, you don't want to walk up to your doctor's office and they're like, "No, nah, don't worry, man. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos. It's all good." You you want them yeah. to have gone through hundreds and hundreds of hours, if not, oh, I believe it's thousands of hours actually of actual yeah. uh, practicing before they start giving you certain things. So it's there's always there's always the uh, opposite side and you've got to take everything with a grain of salt when someone makes a 100%. declaration like university's waste of time which to the most behalf i believe i agree with you and there's always the kind of thing that <coughs> you kind of want someone to go to uni yeah, totally. for otherwise you start to get a bit scary like being an engineer you don't want a kid that's watched a couple of youtube videos to design a bridge um there's certain careers that no matter what university is going to get to a point where they, it's going to end up being specialized universities only for those specific careers where people need to learn to do that specific skill set. Um, but the rest of it, you don't need it, to be completely honest with you. Like you literally like I've, I've live off of stage. I said, give me a career um, that's not these certain you know expertise. And then I've busted the myths and showed people how they could literally learn anything else online for you know pennies in the dollar, if not free. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome, man. To wrap it up, if uh, you were to either go back in time to say when you were 15 or to to um, a future child of yours and you could pass on one sentiment, one lesson to them um, that that would have to carry on for the rest of their life, what would that or your life, what would um, that one thing be? Push harder, a lot faster and don't let anybody else slow you down like you have in the past. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for sitting down and having a chat with me. Um, it's probably been the smoothest running podcast I've had so far. Like every single other one, I've had some sort of technical issue and I'm really happy that this one was yeah. only something as simple as traffic because it doesn't affect the podcast. At all. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I'm sure, I mean, we had a little bit of a technical issue, but that was uh, that was caused by outside of our um, outside of our realm. Yeah, and it's like... No, no one has to know about that, and it's it's something so yeah, exactly. something so simple. How was that episode, guys? That was up there with one of my favorite episodes so far. It was it was just fantastic. If you learned something, that is awesome. If you didn't, you weren't very, you weren't listening very well. And you need to go back and have another listen. Now, if you're someone from my following, you should definitely go give him a little uh, 
give his profile a little cheeky follow. He is very interesting. Um, his link is down in the podcast notes. If you're from anywhere else and you don't follow me on Instagram yet, you should definitely do so. It is all right. Could be better. It will get better. Anyway, guys, I really appreciate you guys getting to the end. You are the real MVP. Lots of love. Have a good one. See you next time.